People of the world, it's the Brothers Talk with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm, inviting you to join us each Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or on our website to hear our take as three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice to the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. You can follow us on Facebook. You can reach us with your comments, questions, suggestions at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and you can email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. And stay tuned for our long-awaited YouTube channel. And now on with this week's episode. Hello, Brothers Talk family, and welcome wherever you're listening around the world and holding your critical thinking conversations to promote activism and uplift our people. And to all first-time listeners, we're glad that you're here to help us with the work of encouraging and educating as we also endorse and inspire new and existing Black businesses to empower and enrich the Black community. In the new COVID reality, we're still seeing 190-plus people dying each day from coronavirus and its complications, and there's a new variant out there, the Arcturus, or Omicron subvariant XBB.1.16. So we're still urging everyone to keep in mind that you need to be careful when you're out and about. This new variant is threatening to surge as we go through the rest of the year, and thus far, they haven't missed with these predictions. So we really do need to keep that in mind that this thing has not ended and that you don't want to be that person who gets it and transmits it to either your family or especially not your medically fragile family members. And I just can't imagine why you don't want to take the kind of precautions that could keep you from getting the flu or RSV2 or any other respiratory infection. So let's do our part. We can and we must do better when it comes to COVID because it's still not over. And now to my brother in the struggle for critical thinking, Norm. Thanks, Rod. And we must do better as a community regarding our health, overall health. And I know I've mentioned this before, but our diets, visit, making sure we visit the doctors and getting an annual checkup. And, and I'm guilty of that myself. I'm going to see my doctor today. With a, and put together a game plan for overall health. But um, that's something we need in our community more than any other. And I just wanted to put that out there to say, hey, I'm taking the first step. Who's going to walk with me? You know, Norm, that's a really good point because one of the things that still is way too prevalent in our community is the issues that we have with the medical community. And I lost a good friend recently, a relative by marriage who was pretty good at putting up a smokescreen and telling people how they need to go to the doctor while he wasn't doing it himself. And he ended up dying from stomach cancer. He didn't do any of the things that the doctor was telling him to do or even really go to the doctor like he should have. And this is a common occurrence in our community that we certainly do have to do better about, especially Black men. You know, we have all understood the stories about Tuskegee and the women who were experimented on in New York by the guy, the celebrated gynecologist who they now took his statue down. But we cannot allow 
the fear and superstition of the ancient past to rule in a way that continues to kill us today. So just wanted to amplify Norm's point that he always says, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And as my grandfather used to say, the best time to take care of your health is when you got it. So let's move on now and talk about another issue that affects our health in a slightly different way. And that is this nation's infatuation with guns. We've seen an outbreak recently of not just the police violence, but just the common average everyday citizen who is effectively a gun nut. And you can have these conversations with lots of people who will try to defend the right to own guns. And I've just come down on the side of recognizing that, you know, we're never going to really get rid of all the guns in this country. That'd be a a miracle, but that's not going to happen because you've still got those folks who are flooding guns into the community so that criminals can get guns. So we understand we are a country where you need law enforcement that has to have access to weapons, but that does not speak to the average person who's out doing things like buying AK-47s and other assault weapons that are only meant to kill people. I don't have a problem with people who say they want to hunt and get long rifles and go out to the wilderness. I don't see how that's much sport. You know, if you're hunting for food, okay, but there are folks out there who call that sport. And it's like, well, okay, well, how is that sport when you have this high-powered rifle against an unarmed animal? To me, get a knife, get a rock, go out and kill them, and then you might be uh, able to call it sport. But I'm digressing. But the bottom line is we have just way too many people with guns. And it's all, to me, due to this ongoing racist indoctrination that too many people have, especially whites, about what this country started as, as the need for them to have guns to protect themselves from the slave revolts and from the quote-unquote marauding natives who were the Native Americans who weren't with the idea of them taking the land from them. The Constitution itself says that you have a right to bear arms in a well-armed militia. And so there's so many people who twist that up because that's how you get these things like the castle doctrine and stand your ground, is they're twisting it up to make people believe that they have the right to to have a gun to just not just only defend themselves and their property, but now they're saying, you know, you can actually take action because, you know, stand your ground allows you to basically invent any reason that you believe your life's in danger and then you can kill someone. And so there have been a number of instances across the nation over the last couple of weeks of people who are innocent, who have been shot and some killed by people who are just basically mean-spirited. And one of the other things that just continues to bother me about the gun ownership process is that there doesn't need to be any kind of training for people to own these weapons. And so it's just a comedy of errors that just is getting more magnified by the day because you've got not only Black people, but now even little white cheerleaders and other white people 
who are being shot by people who, one, shouldn't own these guns, and two, should not have access to the guns. And, you know, Rod, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You have the right and the NRA pushing this crime narrative in this country and literally brainwashing our society, uh, the, the right here, into this fear-based, we have to have guns, guns, guns. They're coming for us. The crime is high, this and that. And these people are just looking at, like you mentioned, any reason to shoot and kill someone. You have to be able to ring the wrong doorbell or drive in the wrong driveway or to have a basketball roll into your neighbor's lawn without being shot. This is ridiculous. And to pass these gun laws that you can conceal carry without a permit, without having to take a class, without even having any training on how to handle a firearm, is ridiculous. You have to at least pass a two tests to get a driver's license. You can't operate a motor vehicle without a license, but yet you can walk around with a concealed weapon in many states in this country. That's ridiculous. And as a result, as a result we basically have just regular citizens being shot and killed for absolutely no reason. You know, someone's going to have to stand up in this country and call it out. We're headed for a disaster, and this is the recipe. And you know what's so just damning about the whole thing, Norma, as you said it, and I'm listening, is that who among us at one time or another turned into the wrong driveway? Who hasn't looked for a driveway because you needed to turn around? Who hasn't, as a kid, had your ball go into somebody's yard? Who, and you had to go into the yard. Who, what kid is thinking that if I go into that yard to get my ball, that I'm going to get shot? You know, and we've got children now who they're trying to make bulletproof backpacks for, for them to go to school. And kids are having to go through these drills about active shooters in the schools. And we're not talking about high schoolers and junior high only, or even colleges only. We're talking about all the way down to the preschool level. And how is this madness acceptable to anyone? I will say over and over again that I really was shocked that after the Sandy Hook killing, where there was those 26 people killed, and I think 20 of them were literally, as I call them, babies. They were young white babies. And I really thought that that would be the turning point because I said, as long as they think that most of these killings are being done in black neighborhoods to black children, they really don't have any real incentive to do it. But when they killed those white babies in Sandy Hook, I really felt like that would be the tipping point. But was I wrong? Even though the surveys that came out after Sandy Hook that said that 94% of the country was in favor of stricter gun control and more gun laws, the NRA, as you just mentioned, and the rest of the gun lobby were able to force the Congress not to even take up the issue. And that just astounded me because I said, well, they obviously don't value anything. Their racism is so strong with this notion that they need to be protected from marauding and, and 
renegade blacks and and that's really what it is now because there just certainly are not enough native americans around to actually be the threat but they are so afraid of what they have done to us as african americans over the 404 years that it's in their dna to be afraid of us thinking that at any moment now we're going to be nat turner or one of the other many rebellions that happen and I've always said, look, we are everywhere. And if we were ever going to do that, we would have done it long before now. But the truth of the matter is that it's just not in our spirit, that even when the Black Panthers were founded, the Black Panthers were a self-defense organization that was focused on helping the community to make sure they had free breakfast and school supplies and things like that. But they were a self-defense organization. They were not a militia group like these other militias, these self-white identity politic militias that are out there that are actively plotting and contemplating how to overthrow the government. And yet the Panthers were portrayed as this threat to national security in a way that was, again, racist because Hoover and company wanted to make a black boogeyman. And they were successful enough because you still have these people who are believing that they need guns to protect themselves against the imaginary threat of what the Black Panthers represented in their minds. And you couple that with how quickly the militias grew after Barack Obama was president, then you still have this recipe for people believing unrealistically and illogically that guns are necessary to protect themselves from being overrun and overthrown by Black people. It's just insanity. And the hypocrisy I, I like to point out here in regards to the right, they claim to care about the unborn children, the unbo unborn child here. Yes, the number one cause of death in children in this country would be guns. They won't address that issue because to address it would mean that they would actually have to look at gun control gun legislation in order to fix or to even address that means of death. They won't do it. They're all for the rights when they suit them, but they're not for the rights when they go against really the, the meaningless thing that they, they, they're fighting here for is the opportunity to have more guns. They claim the criminals get guns too easily in this country. Between 200,000 and 400,000 guns are stolen every year. So the more guns that are put into circulation, the more guns the criminals have an opportunity to get and are getting. So it's like, you know, an ever-filling dream of theirs to like, we have enough guns to defend ourselves. You'll never have enough. Right, if guns are making us safer, how come we have more guns than ever and we're, not as, and we're still not safe? That is a great question, Norm. And you couldn't be more right because we're watching not only the gun violence that's happening on behalf of the criminals and the, the quote-unquote armed citizens, but look at what's also happening with the suicide rates. You know, the teen, the leading cause of teen suicides is now guns. And so, as you said, if they're not willing to protect children after they're born, then why are they so hell-bent on being hypocritical about saying that they're going to protect them? We want to protect them in the womb. 
And, you know, and, it, and it's just unsettling for so many reasons, because one of the arguments you hear so many people pushing back at you with is this notion of, well, guns don't kill people. It's people who kill people. So I asked the guy who said, and this is a black guy who actually said this to me recently. I said, well, okay, well, when was the last time you had a mass stabbing? So he's, it's, and then he tried to go to this other really weak argument about, well, that's like blaming the spoon for obesity. And I'm like, well, that's a false analogy. Cause I said, you know, you, you know what we're saying that you don't have to have a spoon to eat. And by the same token, you know, if a person, we understand if a person is, is hell bent on killing somebody, then they certainly will in all likelihood find a way to at least attempt to murder. But the bottom line is when a lot of these situations occur, if a person had an opportunity to cool down before he or she had access to a weapon that in the spur of the moment, that's why they call it a crime of passion and people actually can get away with it in the court system sometimes because people realize that you can be so worked up in a particular situation that you can't control your impulse. And yet they'll allow guns to be be available. And, and I just go back to say again, the mass stabbing effect. You got the guy in Las Vegas who shot over 50 people because he had access to these high-powered magazine rounds. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that he couldn't have killed 50 people with a knife or a bat or anything less than a gun. And so it's just nonsense that you hear people making these arguments. And we just have to hope that sanity will prevail. Well, Rod, uh, you're right. We have to hope that. But I just, you know, I read an article the other day. And this family, I guess we were on vacation. And they made a wrong turn. And they got stopped at the Canadian border. And their car was loaded with, with firearms. And so naturally, you know, they were confiscated. Because that's an international border. You can't, you can't have arms in Canada. And the comments underneath the article, people were calling them good parents because they had guns to protect their children. And I asked the question, what does that have to do with parenting and being a good parent? And no one can answer that. Until we change the mindset in this country in regards to firearms and the narrative that crime is out of control. Yes, there are areas where there's high crime but not the areas that people are just being killed for no reason. Those are not high crime areas. Until we address that mindset, we're doomed. So there you have it. That's our opinion. And we would love to hear from you. So let us know. In our Black Business Spotlight, meet Victoria Scott Miller and her 11-year-old son Langston, the owners of Liberation Station Bookstore in Raleigh, North Carolina, the first Black-owned children's bookstore in the state. With the help of her husband, Dwayne, and her other son, Emerson, the family aims to provide books that feature main characters who are Black to fight against the lack of diversity in literature. In 2019, the idea of Liberation Station began when their eight-year-old son, Langston, shared his dream of becoming a writer. They went to their local bookstores and looked for books similar to what Langston wanted to write, which would revolve around young Black boys, but they only found a few. So they were inspired to bridge the gap in literature diversity. They launched 
Liberation Station, which offers books that are written for, by, and about Black people. They invested their little savings into the mission and started selling books in pop-up markets in different locations, such as art galleries, hotel lobbies, and old churches, among others. Since then, the business has been thriving, earning over $15,000 in the first year, and even during the pandemic, they didn't stop aiming for their purpose as they transitioned to an online bookstore where they still offered hundreds of books at the time. Learn more about Liberation Station and its bookstore via their official website, liberationstationbookstore.com. That's a wrap for this show. And remember, you can share your thoughts with us and follow and communicate with us by sending your comments as well as questions and show ideas to The Brothers Talk on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or email us to brotherstalk at gmail.com. And as always, God willing, we'll continue to keep our focus on the issues that impact our community on the path to a better future. Until the next episode, know that we sincerely appreciate your time and interest and rest assured that we'll never take it or you for granted. And finally, let's all do better today because that's all we really have.